invite the congregation to be seated. I don't know if you know this, but Christmas and Easter are pretty much the hardest sermons of the year to preach. And part of it is because we have people who don't come to church every week, even though you're welcome here, 8, 30, and 11 every Sunday. Part of it is because, you know, on the one hand, Christ is born, and it's awfully hard to top that. In fact, it's my job not to top that. And then on Easter, Christ is risen, hallelujah. And again, it's hard to top that, and it's my job not to top that. But not only that, you just feel this pressure that these two sermons should be your best two sermons of the year, and everyone gets a best sermon of the year, or everyone gets a worst sermon of the year, and invariably Christmas and Easter lie somewhere in between. Although Phil did point out that probably I'm delivering both my best and worst Tuesday sermon this year. And so I, I guess we'll figure out which one this is in a, in a couple minutes, right? But I, I do hope at least it's above average. It, well, except in one, in one way. I saw a study recently that said that uh, the average sermon length for Protestant services is 37 minutes. So I, I hope at least in this way I'm below average, right? <laughs> we, uh, but the, uh, the idea of above average, below average, and best and worst, and all the things in between, it, it does kind of beg the question of Advent, of expectation versus reality. And that's one of the themes that runs all the way throughout the season of Advent as we prepare for Christ, as we are waiting and watching and hoping and anticipating and waiting as we all do every year for that blessed time when we can say to each other liturgically correctly, Merry Christmas, rather than just, you know, saying it all during Advent like everybody else does, right? And that waiting and hoping and watching and anticipating, there are moments when the payoff is just absolutely what we were hoping for and everything goes right. And it's just one of those wonderful moments where all of a sudden your joy is complete. And then I think about all those Christmases as a child that I had. And you know, we all, as we're waiting for Santa to bring us our stuff, we, we wonder whether we're gonna get all those things we asked for. And as I was thinking about that this week, one Christmas in particular came to mind where I did, I got the thing I was asking for. And actually it was the uh, G.I. Joe SR-71 Blackbird, if any of y'all remember that, right? And, and, and it, was, it was a mighty toy. But the reality of it just did not quite live up to the hype. And I found myself disappointed. Not because like I didn't like it or because it wasn't what I wanted because it was the thing that I've been asking for for months. But because I was, I was beginning to feel maybe one of those adult feelings that you, you get later that sometimes actually getting that thing you've been waiting for just kind of lets you down. And there's, there's a lot of things like that in life, right? You know, we, my daughter is 21 months old and, you know, she looks at me and expects me to know what she wants to eat. Even, even though she can't tell me what she wants to eat, even though she does have a way of getting her point across. And, you know, we look at our parents when, when someone dies and we want them to be able to make our, our hearts heal and the pain go away. And we look at our parents when, when we're hurt and when we're frustrated and we want them to be able to give us words of wisdom, to be able to figure out how to get through it. And, and we look at our parents, you know, when our hearts are broken and we hope that they'll give us something to heal us. And then as adults, we realize that thing. And for those of y'all who are kind of teenagers or around that age who still think your parents know everything, here's, here's a secret. There is no point where all of a sudden the download of information is complete. 
at, for the rest of our lives, we're all just kind of winging it. You know, we, we have some more tools to deal with it. You know, we've got more practice dealing with these things. But your parents aren't just having those singular moments of, of frustration. They're just trying to figure out how to help you get through it the same way we tried to get through it when we were teenagers. You know, the, the expectation that all of a sudden we'll become adults and know what's going on, that's one of the biggest letdowns of all, isn't it? And, and so we, uh, we remember what it was that, that people were looking for in Messiah. You know, we remember that they were looking for someone who was going to raise an army and cast Rome out so they no longer had to pay taxes there and no longer had these foreign occupants in their land. You know, they were looking for someone who was going to be mighty and strong, who was going to be able to, you know, and we think of all the things that they say, they're going to raise the low places and lower the, the high places and make straight the pathways of the Lord. You know, and, and what do we expect out of Messiah? Someone who's going to reign not just in the theological, religious, you know, eschatological kingdom, but someone who is going to hold the political and, and real power that we expect a king to have when God's kingdom finally comes in its fullness. You know, we expect that, that person to be able to speak to kings and rich people. We expect them to be in all these places that, where the seats of power are. And then what do we see in today's gospel lesson? We see an angel talking to shepherds. Why would the angel talk to shepherds? You know, when the angel could go to the people who would be able to tell other people what to do and who would be able to, to have a reputable way of communicating that the Messiah is born, why would the angel go to shepherds? Isn't it interesting that the word of the Lord almost always first comes to poor people? almost for always first comes to those who are outcasts like Moses when he was on the run and hiding out at his father-in-law's farm when he was afraid that Pharaoh was going to come and get him for murdering a guard while his people languished in slavery. You know, poor people like, uh, like Mary, who in the garden was the first one to encounter the resurrected Jesus, who's going to believe what a woman has to say? I mean, it wasn't just kind of the joke that we have sometimes now where we say, oh, it's a, but it really, who, who would believe that? This is not a reputable witness. And yet every time something important happens in the gospel, it's announced to the people who have no power. Why do we think that might be? I think in my own life when things are going well and, uh, you know, there's days when I'm feeling smart which is a sliding scale. I, you know, I know that uh, those are the days where I'm probably least likely to listen because I'm convinced that I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what's going on. It's okay. I've got this. I don't need help. I don't need anybody else. You know, those are invariably the days where I say things that, that cause me to get in a fight with people I love. But on those days when I am broken and lost and hurting and scared and angry and ashamed, and all of those different things that cause me to feel the woundedness that resides in all of our hearts all the time, but sometimes we're able to live into the illusion that it's not there. You know, those are the moments where I realize that I can't do it alone. Those are the times when I realize that I do need a power that's greater than myself. I think that is why the word of the Lord goes to the people who are poor and vulnerable and might lack reputation because those are the people who are going to listen. 
you know, this expectation versus reality. I think uh, one of the things that I, I love about the gospel is that it always catches me in this place that I don't expect. It's the place that I don't anticipate. It's the place where I don't want it to catch me because it's the place that always reminds me just how vulnerable I really am. You know, this morning I was going about around the, the roundabout that's right outside of my neighborhood and a truck almost came in and creamed me. You know, I, I had to slam on my brakes and then I honked and I said some words that you don't say during sermons. And, but, you know, all of a sudden I went from feeling pretty safe in my car to feeling awfully vulnerable. There are moments where the illusion is just snapped. And, and we realize that we really can't do it alone. You know, that's why it's so important to, to be among God's faithful people. When we, we all enter in the same way, right? We enter through the waters of baptism. And in the Lutheran church, you know, when we baptize people, it's not only the parents and the sponsors who promise things, but the congregation promises things too. The congregation promises to raise up the child in, in the church and to care for the child or the adults or whoever we're baptizing that day, to teach them the, the Lord's Prayer, to teach them the creeds, to teach them, you know, the ways to live a life that's filled with faith. And the reason for that is because in our faith, one of the chief articles of our faith is that we cannot do it by ourselves. That's why we come on Sundays at 8.30 and 11. 8.30 is our contemporary service. 11 o'clock is our traditional service. <laughs> Not just because we like to get out of bed early and sing songs that probably were written a couple hundred years ago, some of them, but because we need to be among the people who are going to lift us up and feed us and care for us and teach us our faith because we cannot do it alone. And there is no such thing as anybody who can. And... So we come to this place, or whatever is the place where we worship, where we gather in community, because it's only in community that we can experience the fullness of God, the fullness of faith, the fullness of grace, where we face week in, week out, people who both we have overjoyed and disappointed and know that we still have a place here too. It's a place where God says to us, I see you and I love you. That is the joy of Christmas, that God is with us, among us, seeing us and knowing us for our good and our ill, continuing to claim us and call us by name, not in those places where we are competent and we can do it by ourselves, but in those places where we're broken and vulnerable and we just know we can't do it by ourselves knowing that those are the times when we know to listen. Amen.